Welcome to episode 64 of the FLW Podcast. I'm Jody White. I'm in Benton, Kentucky, and I'm joined by a now Minnesota-based Kyle Wood. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. <laughs> Kyle, how uh, how has the transition been? You're out of flip-flops. You're presumably in snow pants. Are, are, <laughs> you, uh, are you still alive post-Havasu? I, I am. Uh, I'm a lot more tan than I was to start with. Uh, I got to say, I'm pretty excited about the sunglass tan line that I have going on. Uh, my raccoon eyes look real prime. Awesome. And that's kind of something I strive for pretty much all year. But because I haven't been able to ice fish that much, I haven't been able to keep that tan going. But the Havasu tournament definitely got me off to a good start. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had that going at a low level most of, uh, most of this winter because I can usually get out, you know, one or two days a week, and I'm getting a little bit of sun. But a lot of times I feel like I've gone out on days when it's been, like, raining all day. And that doesn't really that doesn't really do much. That said, no, probably healthy for my skin to not have that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, anyhow, we'll get, get in more to uh, what's been going on with us, what's went on at Havasu. But first off, here's the outline. We... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on. Then we're going to play a really phenomenal interview with Scott Canterbury. You guys need to get excited for this. He drops oh, some, good. some wonderful knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll then talk a little bit of Rayovac on Havasu. We'll talk a little college fishing on Havasu. We've got FLW Fantasy Fishing. It's back. We're going to talk about that. We have some uh, FLW news to run through. Then we're going to talk uh, Lake Amistad. FLW College Fishing on uh, Lake Seminole. We'll give the BFL Weekly Update. We have some audio interviews this week. We uh, may or may not have an update from Amistad with Jesse. Uh, he's down there. He's actually at Denny Brower's house right now while we're recording this. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I just got a picture from him. So he'll have, he was on the water today with Todd Castledine. So He'll have an update for us from there, hopefully, if everything works out, and then we'll be gone. I like it. Awesome. So, Kyle, back to what's been going on with you. Just in a general sense, uh, for you, from the, from a coverage standpoint, not so much from here's the nuts and bolts of what happened, but how did uh, how did your trip to Havasu go? How has your last you know week or so since we caught up with you uh, been going? Well, uh, Havasu in itself uh, was a pretty good uh, was a pretty good tournament. I did have a little bit of struggles getting to Havasu. That was kind of a, a cluster in itself. I, we got some snow in Minnesota on the night before um, I flew out, which was Wednesday was when I was flying out. So Tuesday night got a little bit of snow. I left my house at six o'clock in the morning to go to the airport for a nine o'clock flight. Normally it's like thirty minutes. Well, my drive turned into almost three hours, so I missed my flight. So then I was scrambling around trying to figure out, you know, what to do, what, how to get another flight, because most flights, most everyone that was supposed to be on that 9 o'clock flight missed it. So most of the other uh, 
<laughs> flights to Vegas filled up pretty quick because I was flying to Vegas, then driving to Havasu. So I, I was supposed to get into Havasu at like 4 o'clock, and then I was going to do a video at registration, you know, and get my morning story, you know, pre-written for the, for the next day. And we didn't wind up rolling into Havasu until about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night somewhere. I mean, it was late. So that wasn't exactly the best start to the tournament season. But I feel like that's kind of how things work with me. Like last year, I went to that Ray, that Rayburn Rayovac when day two got canceled because of snow. And then the next Rayovac I covered was the James River one. And that whole thing was canceled. So I feel like in the grand scheme of things, I didn't do half bad at this one. So you may be a curse on Rayovacs. but <laughs> I, I might be. <laughs> but you're probably pretty ready and uh, going to be in the swing of things for the next Rayovac, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got all the, all the rust knocked loose. And I'm, I'm starting to get in the groove of tournament coverage now. Okay. Now, here's the thing. You kind of buried the lead, to be honest. Because you've got Instagram now. <laughs> I I did. Uh, I guess that, I, I suppose the reason I forgot about it is because I literally just signed up or just started my Instagram um, right before we called Canterbury this morning. So it's only like three hours young. So far. And I did it on the phone with you, which is even more, <laughs> you know, you kind of, you held my hand through it. So we, we reached that pinnacle now. Yeah, so far uh, you're up to 21 followers. Woo! Ten, you're following 10 people. Uh, I don't think you're following FLW. Maybe you. Maybe you are. Maybe uh, you aren't. No, not yet. Because then we Canterbury was calling you for the interview as I was going through clicking on people, and I wanted to be focused for Canterbury, so I just put my phone down. All right, all right. That's that's fair. But I'm going to need you to follow FLW at FLW <laughs> Fishing. Get on that, people. Uh, uh, other than that, man, I think so far a really great account. Um, you know, I think it's a fine profile picture and a phenomenal uh, username. What, yeah. Uh, if people want to stalk you, what what do they need to go to here? People can uh, people can get at me at Kyle Lumber, as in wood, but lumber. Get it? I get it. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> I think you need to change. I don't know what you have for online personalities. You know, maybe you have a, a forum handle or two here or there, uh, a Gmail address. I would change everything to that because that is, you know, that you is know, just I, I, phenomenal. I think I should. And it's so weird that it took me that long to realize that. I have, there's a few buddies of mine that call me the Lumber or Kyle Lumber. Um, and when I was going through on Instagram, I was getting so mad because everything with like, Kyle Wood or K Wood or any variation of that was already taken. So that kind of was like my roadblock. So I've had Instagram on my phone, like the app downloaded for probably two weeks, but I couldn't think of anything cool. And then last night it kind of hit me and here we are now and I'm feeling really good about it. And I can't wait to start posting stuff. All right. Well, I tell you what, I love it. I, uh, I love the name and I think you guys are going to love this interview with Scott Canterbury. And now we're joined by Quaker State Pro Scott Canterbury. He finished 26th in AOI points last year, second in the Forestwood Cup. He's coming off a couple decent tournaments in Florida, ready to get the season started. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I just, uh, like you said, just ready to get the season started. I'm excited about this year and looking forward to another good year. 
So, Scott, I guess, first off, I mean, speaking of getting the year started, you you fished the Bass Open on Toho, I guess it must be about a month ago now, and then a few weeks ago you fished uh, the Rayovac on Okeechobee. Um, and you had pretty good finishes in both of them, sort of got your feet wet down in Florida. How are you feeling, I mean, headed into Toho? You know, I feel good, you know. it's It's became come to me like just going fishing no matter whether we're in florida or missouri or arkansas wherever we go you know i feel pretty confident and just relaxed ready to get out on the water you know i've, I've had a few good years behind me now and last year was a really good year uh i had a bad finish in a tournament or two i think i could have been in the top five in points for sure should have been there i had a misfortune in a tournament or two but uh you know getting down in florida you know, fishing that open on Toho, I just wanted to go down and look at the lake again. I, the first FLW Tour tournament I ever fished was on Toho, and I didn't do very well. So, And that was the last time that I'd been down there. When that Southern Open came on the schedule and it was ahead of the FLW Tour tournament coming up on Toho, I, I wanted to get into that just to go down there, get a little more experience on the water, uh, look at the lake a little bit. And get a little more time on the water. And then going to Florida is always good in the wintertime. Left there with the Okeechobee. We had another good tournament. I really was excited about that one. I, I was on some big fish. And, you know, I had a couple of big bites. I had one really big. I lost the two biggest fish I had the whole week. Practice over the tournament, during the tournament. You know, you just can't do that in a in a, any tournament. But you definitely can't do it in a you know a FLW tournament or a, or a bass tournament either. When you're fishing against the competition that we fish against, you've got to land them. But, you know, I feel good about getting the year started back in Florida for sure. Cool. As far as, you know, Toho goes, you've been on it, you know, pretty recently. What do you think is going to be going on there come tournament time? I mean, it's kind of an odd time because it's a little bit later in the year than I feel like most tours usually fish in Florida. At the same time, there's supposed to be a full moon, I think, for the first day of it. Do you yeah, I think, think it's Thursday. Yeah, do you think it's going to be like a full-on spawn tournament, or do you think there's going to be other stuff going on? You know, there will be some other stuff going on. Anytime you're down in you know central or south Florida, those fish are spawning even back before Christmas, before the year starts. There's some fish that spawn on the full moon, and then, you know, January there's going to be a few spawn. But they've had a lot of cold weather, not like we have up north or anything, or in Alabama, but they've had some cold weather. It's been in the 70, low 70s, but it's been getting cool at night, keeping the, temp, the water temps cool. And I'm sure there's been some fish spawning, but, you know, if we, we get a warm week before our tournament and our tournament being on the full moon, there's going to be a lot of bass on the bed, and I'm sure of it. Uh, there'll be a lot of fish, you know, that are postponed that you'll be able to catch fishing, moving baits, getting reaction strikes. But I really look, I'm really looking forward to being able to sight fish a little bit. That's one thing that I love doing and uh, definitely hope that there's some fish to be caught off the bed. Do you, uh, I, I understand, you know, you love sight fishing and I do too, just from a fun perspective, but I hate doing it in tournaments because <laughs> it, I worry about, you know, budgeting my time and stuff. Do you feel like that's one of your strengths come tournament time? Definitely, I do. I think that, 
you know, we've had we haven't had a whole lot of sight fishing tournaments over the years, and uh, I've had some really good finishes sight fishing, a, a second place primarily sight fishing, a third place almost uh, almost exclusively sight fishing, and you know, several top twenties or top tens included a couple of sight fish here and there, just mixing it up. But you know, I do uh, think that it's one of my strengths. I just have a lot of confidence in being able to catch one that I do see on the bed. And I don't know, it's something that when I started tournament fishing around Alabama and learned how to sight fish ever since then, that's all. I mean, one of my favorite things to do. I'd rather sight fish. I'd rather catch one off the bed and watch the lady relax to you. Not to your bait, but to your presence of being around him and then see her react to your bait. I'd rather do that than just about. I mean, I'd rather do that than just about anything that I can think of. It's just one of one thing that I really love to do is catch them off the bed. All right. So, when you're, you know, maybe this is a Florida specific thing, maybe not. But what's your, what's your sort of formula for how you go about catching these fish? Do you have any particular baits you always like to throw, or is it? Do you have? Do you just approach them a certain way? You know, I mean, you have to know which, you know, you see a lot of fish when they're up spawning, but you have to know which ones that, what I consider a catchable bass, you know. Uh, in the past, I don't know, eight or ten years, I I think that I caught pretty much every fish that I've tried to catch off the bed. But there's some that you can't catch, you know, that you just that you don't spend time on and that are not catchable. But they're not necessarily on the bed. They're up cruising or sunning or they're just in the areas of beds. But those ones that are on the bed, guarding the bed, you know, are catchable bass 85 to 90% of the time. And so it's just a matter of spending time around them, seeing how they react to certain baits. You know, that I do use a variety of lures. I mean, I've... I've used a lizard a lot, all kinds of crawl baits. Uh, I've caught them on uh, tubes. I've caught them on just about everything that you can think of. Uh, you know, probably as far as money baits, the baits I've won money on off the bed, uh, Jackal makes a salsa tiki crawl. It's a little crawl bait that's real small. with just, And that's probably been my go-to bait as far as bed fishing over the past 10 years. All right, good stuff. Do you have any preference in color? If you were going to take, if you could only have, uh, um, like one one color that you could take anywhere and sight fish with, green pumpkin. That would be my number one color. Anywhere I went uh, would be green pumpkin. You know, a lot of people use whites and different colors, but that's just for colors that we can see, where you can tell when it's in the bed or not, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've caught more fish on natural colors, either a green pumpkin or a black, than I have any other color off the bed. So if I could only choose one color, it would definitely be a green pumpkin. Oh, that makes sense. I'd, pro- I'd probably be with you there on that on that train of thought. But like you said, some guys kind of favor, um, you know, like a white or a brighter color um, for the human yeah. eye to see, not so much for the fish, uh, but just yeah, so you know where your bait's fish- at. I don't think the fish react to it any different. And I think that the natural colors the fish 
react better to than they do the whites. Uh, you know, I've caught a lot of fish on white tubes and white uh, different baits. I've caught them on. I actually got some salsa picky crawls in white. Uh, I got Bruiser to make me some white baits, white intruders, and I've caught them on them. But, you know, it really, uh, you know, if it come down to confidence and you only had one color, that would be it. Okay. Well, sticking to the to, along the lines of uh, talking about Toho, um, and I think especially for some of the, the listeners out there, I think a lot of people, when they think Florida, are pretty aware of Okeechobee and the things that kind of go on along, cho- uh, along um, the Big O. But when you compare that to Toho, are there any differences you see between the lakes in terms of either uh, where the fish set up or uh, maybe even how the fish um, – just react to their environment? Is there any difference between them, or is it Florida and it's all the same? No, it's definitely not all the same. I mean, I was, it's been, you know, six six years or so since I've been to Toho, and, and I'd only been there that one time, but going back down there, it was definitely eye-opening for me seeing how different it is in Okeechobee. I've, I've really gotten comfortable fishing at Okeechobee the first 10 years or so, 10 or 12 years with the railbacks and never starts and all that. And then all the tour tournaments that we've had there over the years. And, you know, it's, it's a lake like none other in the country. It's so, it's such a special place. It's, it's, it's shallow water everywhere with millfoil and hydrilla. And there's some coontail down there. And you got the reeds, the hard lines, the inside edges of the reeds. There's so many different things to do on Okeechobee. And it's all shallow. And it's all really good everywhere. I mean, there's certain places that are better than others, but Okeechobee has so many fish in it and so many quality fish in it that it's just one of those special lakes. It's it's one of the better lakes in the country. And then you go to Toho, and it just sets up a lot different. I mean, you know, you have Kissimmee grass on, on, say, you fish on Kissimmee, you got Kissimmee grass down there, and there's Kissimmee grass on Toho, but I spent more time on Kissimmee. So you say, the Kissimmee grass down on Kissimmee, if you're flipping Kissimmee grass on Okeechobee, you're in two and a half, three feet of water. Well, when you get to Kissimmee and you start doing that, it was six and a half, seven feet deep when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. So it's a lot. It's a big difference. There's no way that you could see the bottom in any of the Kissimmee grass, no matter how clear the water was. There's lily pads everywhere. There's not many lily pads on Okeechobee, and there's pads, acres and acres and acres of pads on Kissimmee and and I mean, a lot of them are in four to you know four to six foot of water as well. So it does set up. It fishes a lot different than Okeechobee, but uh, it's still a great fishery. It's got I don't think it's got the numbers of bass in it that Okeechobee's got, but man, it has got some giants in it. That's the exciting thing about being on Toho is there's always a chance of catching a ten to twelve pounder, whereas Okeechobee has more of those five to eight pounders. I'm pretty sure. Than, than Toho has, but Toho's probably got more of those double-digit fish. How about uh, Toho as far as, you know, getting around down there? Because you guys have a number of lakes you can fish, and I, I think Kissimmee is the furthest away from Toho, if I'm correct on that. Uh, it is, it is. So, you know, going through these locks, how how long would it take you to run from, you know, the marina in Toho all the way down to Kissimmee, if that was where you decided to fish. Uh-huh. If you fish on Kissimmee, I mean, I, I spent some time on Toho. 
But if you fish your tournament on Kissimmee, you're going to lose three hours of fishing time over somebody that stays on Toho. And that's one thing that you've got to know going into it. You've got to know that. So you have to be on, you know, a pretty good pattern, a pretty good substantial amount of fish on Kissimmee to make that run down there as far as staying on Toho. Toho is not a huge lake. Uh, I think it fishes a little, you know, they all fish smaller than Okeechobee for sure, but when you combine them all, they actually fish bigger than Okeechobee with the shoreline and stuff they have. So, uh, but it is a, it's a gamble running down there. You know, you take a chance on, on the way back. You take a chance, you have to, you have to leave in plenty of time to make sure you make the lock. You're going to lose some time there. You're never going to pull straight up and lock me up to pull in and go right through. So, I mean, you're going to lose three hours, at least three hours of fishing time if you, if you decide to go to Toho over, I mean, Sammy or Ashnaha or Cypress besides staying on Toho. Okay. How many how many locks are there? Because there's a lot of little canals and stuff that you can see, but do you have to go through, you know, wait around for a lock each time, or are there only just a few locks and a lot of it's, you know, either running or idling? There's only one lock, and it's right there at the south end of Togo is the only lock. But, you, I mean, in that southern open, we had 200 boats, and there was probably 100 guys locking every day, and that lock will only hold 14 boats. And Mike can get 15 in it from time to time, but 14 or 15 boats is all the lock will hold it one time. So if your boat, four, say your boat 100, if you go straight to the lock, you're going to sit there and wait for 40 minutes before you ever get through the lock. As far as the running time is not that bad, it's not that long of runs. It's just a matter of getting through that lock and getting back through it. Oh, interesting. See, I didn't know there was just one lock on the south end. I guess I didn't really know that much about yeah, Toho. There's just one, and I mean, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a little bit of a gamble seeing how that lock will only hold 14 or 15 bucks at a time. It, it just makes it risky going down there on the way back. But on the way back, it's usually not that big a problem because people start coming back at lunch. And it sort of scatters it out, man. But when you pull up, a lot of times somebody is in the lock and you got to wait, you know, 15 minutes. It doesn't take long to get boats through that lock. It's only about a three, four foot fall, so it doesn't take long to get through there. All right, that's that's real interesting. It, it's good to get a breakdown of, from it of it yeah, from for someone sure. who's been there because, you know, neither Kyle or I have ever spent any time on the lake, and most of our listeners haven't. So, so they sort of, you know, they know the generals, but to get into specifics like that is real helpful. Um, yeah. That's good. I, you know, you mentioned uh, having the, you know, big field at the open. Obviously, there's a huge field in the right at the Rayovac, but the tour field this year is quite a bit smaller than it has been in the past. Do you do you like that rule where we've uh, trimmed down the tour field? I do. I mean, I think you know, if it's a professional sport, I definitely think there should be some qualifications to getting into it, other than just having you know thirty thousand dollars laying around. And it just helps the, I think it helps the guys that are at that level. You know, there's some that could be there for sure as far as fishing talent, but I think that there needs to be qualifications, and and I think everybody that fishes it should have to qualify. All right, good stuff. Um, you know, I continuing with, I guess, you know, the off-season topic, rules topics, do you... Uh, 
do what do you what have you what are you up to in the off season? Are you working a second job? Are you uh, just doing a lot of fishing? Is it uh, sponsor type work? What what sort of a off season day in the life for Scott Canterbury? You know, as far as during the off season, most of the time I work, uh, do a few jobs during the off season. Um, have a construction company back before I started fishing professionally, and you know I usually do a little bit of remodeling or something for some bad friends of mine. But and there's been past years. As last year, I worked about eight weeks, had a big shutdown going out of his deal, and I worked out there for eight weeks. We were working ninety hours a week, so you know just to make a little extra money during the off season. This year, I haven't worked much. Uh, I've done a few little bit of things, but nothing big, and. Just took it easy, fishing a little, fishing as much as possible. I mean, I go fishing a lot when I'm at home. Uh, did a little bit of deer hunting. I went to Illinois hunting and just enjoyed the outdoors and spend some time with family. Well, uh, along the lines of fishing, because I remember uh, a couple years ago, Scott, I did an article with you um, that was kind of during the off season. You were telling me about you were taking your first trip to Illinois to go bow hunting. Um, and that was the furthest you'd ever gone from home to deer hunt. Um, so it's cool. It sounds like you're still keeping on that. But the one thing that I liked um, that I picked up on in that interview was that you said you'd really gotten into crappie fishing over the last few years. Have you still been oh, doing yeah. that over the off season? I have. You know, I, I love the crappie fish. I've sort of got addicted to it in the past six, five or six years. Spent a long time at Gardnersville crappie fishing, uh, Logan Martin crappie fishing. And I think it really helps you hone in on, you know, why you, you know, keys to catching fish. I mean, it's not bass, but just catching fish. There'll be times that we find them on the graph and you got to figure out how to catch them. And, you know, it's such a subtle bite. A lot of times we fish with little bitty light jigs and light line. And it's something that I've really gotten addicted to, and I really enjoy doing that. I left uh, Togo after that. Southern Open went to Okeechobee for the railway, which was the next week. And the first day I got down there, that's all I did. We got there about 10.30 in the morning. We went crappie fishing all day. And we caught like 90 crappie at Okeechobee. And now that was a blast. Catching <laughs> crappie when it's 75 and 78 degrees outside. Uh, we don't get to do that a whole lot back up here. But that was fun down there, too. And uh, I really still am enjoying the crappie fishing time. I suppose the ones on Okeechobee, they got to be pretty big, don't they? You know, they average really good. You know, really? We caught, we caught several two-pounders, but, uh, you know, that was pro- the average fish was probably 12, 11, 11 and a half inches long. You know, they're averaging really good size, you know, pound and a half crappie, and that's really good eaters. But uh, we catch some, the biggest ones that we ever, that we get to catch on a consistent basis is on Donnersville. We catch a lot of big ones up there, and when it gets right, we catch them up to, We've been trying to catch a three-pounder, me and my buddy Will, and uh, we haven't caught a three-pounder, but we've caught several that weighed 214, and that's a big crappie. Ooh, that is a giant crappie. So, Scott, how would you feel about joining Kyle for some ice fishing for crappie? Because, you know, he does yeah. have a fair amount this uh, in the, up in Minnesota. Is that up your alley you at know, all? That would, that would be, I would enjoy it, I'm sure, you know, an experience. I would like to do it once or twice, you know, I don't know about getting out on the ice. That would be sort of shaky for me, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it would be a great experience, and I would enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, next off season, we'll we'll set it up. You can come up here, and we'll we'll go chase some big Minnesota crappies around 
through an eight-inch hole yeah. with two-pound test. Yeah, and I, and I would like that. I'm sure I would like it. If we got to catch them, I know I would like it. If I get paid <laughs> online, I like doing it. <laughs> so, Scott, one of the, I get one of the big reasons we had you on, or we wanted to get you on for this show was we actually, we actually had a listener uh, request you, um, <laughs> uh, Brandon, yeah. Brandon uh, from Eufaula, Alabama, wanted to know more about how to fish Eufaula. Uh, he just got a new boat, so he's going from the bank to the boat. Um, so I guess, and he was like, hey, I want to hear from a guy who's won tournaments here, like Scott Canterbury. So <laughs> <laughs> so if you were if you were sort of new to fishing Eufaula out of a boat, um, and I guess, you know, for this time of year, what would, what would you be looking for? You know, anytime you get to go fishing, you know, you try to learn something. So the biggest thing is you're spending time in that boat and trying to, you know, learn as much as you can about the fish and what they're doing. But on Eufaula, that's another place that's special to me. I grew up going to Eufaula probably since I was about 12 years old, at least once or twice a year. During the summers, we'd go down and spend a weekend or a couple of days. And I enjoyed fishing down there all my life. But, you know, if you had to just, if you were learning how to fish Eufaula, and you've been used to fishing the banks. When you stand on the bank fishing, I used to do a lot of bike fishing, and I got right up on the water and paralleled the banks a lot. But most people that fish the bank stand on the bank and they cast out straight toward the middle, see how far they can throw. And then if you're on a boat, you're sitting out and you're throwing in. So it's those fish, you know, I would fish the banks. I would fish grass. You know, there's a lot of uh, grass down there that's just shoreline grass that grows all along the banks. And those fish really like to get in at this time of year. They're, they're staging up. Fish will be on the drops. And there's not like it's a lot of big, massive flats on it with, uh, you know, say three to five foot deep. And then there'll be ditches running through there or some drops on that. That would be an area right now those fish will be on that type of stuff with a rattle trap. The hydrilla's coming back. I hear down there. I would get stay around that hydrilla as much as possible. There's so many different ways to fish in every lake, not necessarily uh, Eufaula, but every lake. And that's what makes the sport so great is everybody has their own ways of fishing. Uh, one of my favorite things to do on Eufaula is go up the river, get in the river system, and fish, you know, later, fish wood with a jig. I love fishing a jig, and there's probably not a better place to do it in the state of Alabama than Eufaula. And when that bite's happening on that river, you can catch a lot of really big fish. So, you know, either stay on the lower end if you like fishing down that way, fishing the willow grass or fishing the rattle trap out in front of the grass, or get in the river system and fish wood with a jig. Okay. You know, you were saying fishing the grass up on the bank, and, you know, you mentioned the rattle trap for fishing hydrilla. What would you be throwing in the bank grass? You know, I fish a swim jig a lot. You know, I use dirty jigs, tackle jigs. I've got them designed several baits over the years, but they make the best, the best colors by far on the market, and one of the, and it's probably the best jig in my opinion. Uh, you know, I just fish a, one of their swim jigs, a three-eighths ounce, and either a shad, you know, depending on the water color. I like the shad color, the tactical shad, or the whites. And then if the water gets real clear, I like the black and blues. And, you know, later in the year when the brim are spawning, I like a brim coming up there in the grass. So you just got so many different varieties of colors. 
that's my favorite way to fish that grass is with a swim jig. A little bit later in the year when the fish are spawning, you can throw a pop bar and stuff like that around any any shallow vegetation or shallow wood and uh, catch a lot of fish. Use a SK pop from Jackal, which is a little small pop bar bait. Uh, I like the I like the chugging baits better than the walkies in the spring as far as target fishing like that. All right, good stuff. As far as, you know, you were talking about finding those shallow flats that have the wood and stuff like that on them. Is that something that, you know, typically shows up pretty well on a, on a uh, paper map that you follow, or is that something where you need to actually be uh, be looking for it? Because, you know, I don't know what Brandon has for electronics in his boat, but I think, you know, he might have a... You know, he might have a chip for the lake that shows everything, but, you know, he may not. Yeah, well, a paper map shows a lot of that stuff, and that's a lake that can be, you can uh, do a lot of damage, spend a lot of money repairing your boat. I think, I haven't been there in a year or so, but they've actually dropped the the lake level a little bit down there over the past four or five years, and on the flats, there's a lot of stumps and, you just have to be real careful if you're out, if you're running your big motor to be real careful if you get it out of the channel because that like those big flats are not just you know flats that you can just run across anywhere. There is stumps in places, and you can study a lake map and learn a lot of those areas. Then you have to spend a lot of time with a rattle trout fishing it. Good electronics is the biggest thing. Uh, you know the rats mapping systems, the rats electronics. With the Navionics chips, uh, there's so many different maps and chips for these electronics now, and they've gotten so good that you can save. You know, it costs a lot of money, but in the long run, you'll save yourself a lot of money by paying attention to those electronics. And okay. you get a lot more fish breaks when you get to learn them, and uh, when you really get to believing in them as well. No, you good point. Yeah, that's definitely true, because, um, you know, it can... You can you can blow a lot of money uh, putting on a new lower unit or something like yeah, that. That's real for sure. <laughs> like I said, I mean, I run on my boat. I run Lawrence HDS Gen two twelve inch touchscreens. They're HDS twelve touchscreens. But you don't have to use. You don't have to spend as much money as I do. I mean, I'm doing it because it's my livelihood and it's how I pay my bills. But you know, you can go out and get a, a five inch or a seven inch screen. And they'll show the same maps. You just have to come in a little more and pay attention to it. So, you know, it isn't like you got to go spend $8,000 on grass, but if you, if you get off of the channel and you tear your boat up, you can do eight or $10,000 in just a few minutes. So, you know, get, get yourself a, decent, a good grass and learn to use it and believe in it. And not only will you save yourself money as far as, Keeping your boat running, you'll, you'll catch a lot more fish that way as well. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, you know, back to back to the swim jig. You know, you talked a, a lot about the type of brand you prefer, and you know, throwing the dirty jigs swim jig. Do you like to? I guess more into that. Do you like to put any particular trailers on it? But also, uh, when you're when you're fishing it, is it just a straight retrieve? Are you sort of popping it and twitching it as you bring it back? Do you have any go-to method for that side of things? Yeah, growing up in Alabama, and I think Alabama sort of swim, swim jig craze just exploded in Alabama back in the 90s. And every time 
around one of the Coosa River lakes that had that willow grass was one swimming a jig. And we all, I mean, everybody in our mind, we got into swimming a jig on braided line, you know, with, you know, you use a pointed hand swim jig where to come through the grass. And we pop our rod. You keep slacking your line. And you popping your rod, giving that jig the action as it comes through the grass, uh, hanging out in front of the grass. When it hangs on a piece of grass, you pop it and shake it loose. I've had them just pull it on it as it's hung in the grass. Uh, you're just trying to get a reaction by it. You come over one's head. But over the years, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite techniques in winter grass is pumping my rod, giving that bait action. And, yeah, you do have to have a trailer on it. I mean, I if I want it to fall slow, if I want to keep it up in the water column, I like a Bruiser Avenger. It's got a lot of flapping action. It's got a flat body that keeps the bait a little buoyant. And uh, most of the time, I'm either using that or, I say, a Bruiser Evil Twin that I designed a couple of years ago. That's been one of my go-to baits over the years, and I've caught them on it in the cup. I've caught them on it everywhere, all over the country. I use it on a swim jig and a chatter bait. And that's probably one of my favorite baits to use doing that method. Uh... But since fishing a pier, if you, we started traveling out of state and stuff, and we go places, and man, they just wouldn't hit that swim jig without action in it. And Tom Monsieur is probably one of the ones that I look at. He was always killing them on a swim jig. He's probably caught more than anybody in the country on a swim jig itself. But it's a total different technique. I mean, it's put a, I mean, I, I've got to where I've made a couple of top tens doing it at Okeechobee and different places. It's more of a open water deal, and we're putting the Bruiser Super Swimmer on the back of it, like a, just any swim swim bait body, and you just throw it up and sort of a steady, slow retrieve, and it's more natural coming through the water than anything than a crank bait that's wiggling back and forth or any kind of thing that's giving out a huge vibration. It, if that swim bait's come back on that bruiser bait, it rocks the whole jig back and forth. So it is putting out some vibration in the water, but it's not like it's just unbelievable amount of action that you're trying to create. It's something subtle coming through the water. You've seen a shad swimming through the water. He's not spooked. He's not making any effort or putting out a lot of vibration either. So it's something that just looks more natural to him coming through the water. You catch, catch a lot of big fish, you know, just more of the open water, the outside edges of the grass or around wood and stuff, making long casts and just a slow, steady retrieve with a you know, swim jig with a swim bait body on it. Awesome. Well, Scott, uh, thanks thanks a bunch for that breakdown. I feel like I, I'm more knowledgeable about uh, swim jigs yeah, and bed fishing no for kidding. sure than I was before. Um, and we've run pretty long, but Kyle, do you have any, uh, do you have any other questions you want to get in before we uh, wrap this up? Uh, no, I think I think we tackled everything everything I wanted to know. Right, I appreciate the opportunity, and you know, anytime that I could give some advice to help somebody out, it's good for me, and you know, hopefully, it'll work for them. All right, now let's say people want to uh, find you on the internet, maybe ask you for that ad- advice uh, via other channels. Where can they uh, Where can they follow you? Yeah, I mean, just follow me on Facebook. I've got. I, uh, it's Scott Canterbury, fish, pro fisherman, uh, Twitter, Facebook. I do a little bit of everything. Instagram, uh, Scott Canterbury Angler. And, you know, you, if anybody's got any questions or anything like that, they can get me on Facebook or they can, you can anybody can email me at Scott, Scott at scottcanterbury.com. 
So uh, that's an easy way to catch up with me anytime. Awesome. Well, Scott, thanks for coming on. And, of course, best of luck this coming season uh, at Toho and all the way through. Hey, I appreciate it. Look forward to it and can't wait to see you down there. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kyle, we just got off a phenomenal interview with Scott Canterbury. I think whether you're looking for some advice uh, on Ufala, on swim jigs, on bed fishing, I think you've I think you've got it. I think we we got a pretty good oh. preview of Toho, to be honest, too. We we really did. Like, who knew? I knew Scott Canterbury liked to bedfish, but I didn't know he'd be that jacked about Toho. You know, we're going to talk about fantasy fishing in a little bit. And before I knew he liked to bedfish, I picked Scott Canterbury because I figure, why not? He's an ultra stud. Well, what do you know? It turns out he's pretty <laughs> fired up for this. And yeah, I, that, and I'm here that'll work out good. Him, so I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> But I guess, you know, Scott Canterbury aside, you're back uh, from the Rayback FLW Series event on Lake Havasu. Joe yes. Uribe, uh, I mean, he just, oh, he put on a clinic. He caught 67 pounds, 3 ounces. It's a new record for FLW tournaments on Havasu. Three and four-day tournaments combined. He had the highest winning weight. He's got the highest average uh and, I mean, man, you watched just about all of it because you were taking great photos of him every day. Can you, like, give us a breakdown of just how this tournament went down? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, you know, the big thing all week was the water temps were that 57, 58-ish. And some of the back of the coves, you could find maybe 61. And everyone was talking about how pre-spawn largemouth were going to be the deal. I, I, I interviewed Joe Uribe for the morning story for this event. And he flat out told me, I'm doing one thing. I'm going to be fishing, you know, zero to 10 feet deep. And I'm only going after pre-spawn largemouth. You know, that's not, he did weigh in some big smallies just because they roll them in the same areas. But that he knew right then and there that that was the deal. He told me he was going to have one rod on the deck. Um, and that's what he did. He just, the, the weird thing about Havasu, if you ever look back um, years ago when like, you know, 10 pounds a day was like a really good bag. Maybe 12 would be something to talk about. The lake actually didn't used to have that much structure in it. And while I was down there, I saw these pontoon boats running around all over the place. Um, and they were just loaded up with brush. I mean, you know, pine tree branches, whole trees, um, shrubs, you name it. They had it all tied together. And they just go into the back of all these pockets and drop them down to add structure. And since they started doing that program, um, I think it's been several years now they've been doing it, but the, the fish size has increased. And that's why weights over the years, if you kind of ever look at Havasu through the years, you've seen tournament weights kind of keep climbing because now there's more place for those fish to hide, more place for bait to hide. Um, there's even more grass grown in there now, which I had no idea that there was grass in Havasu. Cause it's all rock. So I just kind of assumed that, you know, it was just a rocky reservoir, Western reservoir. But, um, that was the, you know, the whole deal, especially for Joe was to run certain little coves that he found had more fish staging outside of them. And he would roll, um, he'd throw a chatterbait through there. He actually, he set it on stage. He was throwing a jig that he didn't want to come out in the open yet. Something his dad designed. It's, it's basically because I've, I've got a lot of questions about it. It's really just a swim jig, just a homemade swim jig. It's not really anything different than uh, 
you know, anything you couldn't buy in the store, the, the head, um, you know, swim jig just with a skinny dipper on the back and he died to tail chartreuse. But he would roll that through that structure in those coves. And you could, if you watch that ion video we posted on flwoutdoors.com uh, of his final day, you'll see, you'll see him just kind of slow rolling that jig along. With, with very, uh, very distinct little twitches. Yes, uh, and, and those twitches were super key. I I reviewed all his video actually. Yeah, when I first got it, I was I think the first one to see it while I was cutting it up. And you can watch so many times he would have a little doop, boom, and it would load up. Yep. Uh, and yeah, you guys, uh, you have to go to flwoutdoors.com, flw fishing on YouTube. You've got to watch this video. It is, I mean, dude, he kills it. He catches twenty seven pounds right in front of your eyes. It's yeah, amazing. And, and a nine pounder. I mean, who saw that coming? No, I mean, it was incredible. You know, the funny thing with that nine-pounder, when he caught that, um, and and the ion doesn't really do it justice, but his co-angler was actually hooked up as well. And his co-angler's fish got hung in one of those um, fish structures or one of those cribs they put in the lake. And Joe thought that that nine-pounder was just a, you know, three-pound fish or something or, or a striper, so he's trying to horse it in. And you actually see him if you on the video – you see, he's kind of like jerking his rod, like he's trying to hurry up and move the fish along. But he gets the thing in the boat, starts paying attention to the co-angler. Turns out co-angler's got like a 30-pound carp on. So then Joe started laughing. He had this nine-pounder laying in the bottom of the boat, and it worked out pretty good. And that was his first fish in the morning, too. So And, and well, it took him like 20 minutes to get the carp. Well, not 20 minutes, but it took him a long time to get the carp in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it did. And I, I, got some, I got some photos of the carp. I don't know if we ever put those online, but it was a giant carp. But I don't think we did, but I tell you what, I am not opposed to putting some up with this episode because I'm all about giant carp. <laughs> it was it was one for the ages, especially on a spinning rod that that co-angler uh, caught it on. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that is, I mean, that is awesome. It was a real fun tournament to follow just from afar because I think we did, an, again, we did a really good job with coverage. and. We did. Think, we got a lot of compliments about it, especially from those Western guys. I, I feel like they're they're always kind of overlooked in the scheme of tournament fishing, and I don't like that because I think the West is awesome. Uh, I, I I agree on both fronts, um, and I I think that I think we're going to continue to get a lot a lot of compliments on that. I know uh, Ron says post Okeechobee he got a lot of compliments on the mm-hmm. coverage. Uh, I think that. Post Amistad, as we hit a new division, we're probably going to get a lot of compliments uh, on that front as well. Yep. Um, but the uh, the other important news coming out of this event uh, wasn't necessarily how great the coverage was. Uh, wasn't um, it wasn't Uribe's win, although that's pretty important. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the scheme, of, in the grand scheme of things, I would say that forty thousand and a brand new Ranger is a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But what what the real key was was our uh, our Rayovac Rumble. Um, oh yeah. And Kyle, you picked up the Rayovac Rumble win in commanding fashion. Oh baby! <laughs> you had Billy Skinner who finished eleventh, Joe Uribe Jr. who finished first, and Troy Lindner who finished sixteenth. Uh, averages out to nine point three. Uh, pretty good. Not bad. Not a record. We looked this up. Uh, and I was pretty bummed about it. I was kind of hoping, you know, on my second Rayovac Rumble, I could go on ahead and 
set a set the bar high, but maybe I maybe I can do that for the next one. Yeah, I mean the thing is we've had times where either Joe or I have gotten two guys in the top ten before, which is hard to do. It uh, is, and you obviously you got super close. Uh, so I don't know exactly. I, I I mean I think it's it's possible, and maybe this year, maybe next year, one of us will eclipse the nine mark because the record is nine even. Oof. Uh, but it's going to be real hard to do. Has anyone ever picked someone that eventually won the tournament? Uh, yes, actually. I picked uh, Jimmy Johnson, who oh. won on the Mississippi. Always a good call. Yeah. On the Mississippi uh, River. I felt, I felt like a genius that time. And <laughs> I believe you should. You feel like a genius. We should both feel like geniuses, actually. Because while, uh, while Brett Height and Roy Hawk didn't perform well for me uh, and dropped me down all the way to 39.6, I picked Josh Bertrand, who led the first day, finished in yeah. the second. I mean, you and I pretty much had the top two uh, pretty well we cornered. Were, we were pretty dialed in for this tournament. I agree. Uh, it was it was, it was was a fun one, you know, just to, especially on the first day, before my guys had done terrible, and even the beginning of the second day where I was like, <laughs> okay, my guys could do well. I mean, last year, Roy Hawk, he had a pretty subpar first day, came back, caught 20 pounds the second day, yeah, moved way up. Yep. Uh, and so that's what I was hoping for, but it didn't, it didn't happen, but it was still, you know, a pretty good sort of semi tight race. And I know it's nice when you have guys finish up high. I felt, I mean, I was telling Josh Bertrand, I'm like, Hey man, after the first day, if you want to just like get second or third and Joe wins this, that's cool. Like, <laughs> uh, it's like, I really need the points for this Rayback rumble. And he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> man, we got to get him listening to the podcast. You know, he's a big fan of Circuit Breaker, I found out. Isn't, big fan. Isn't everybody, though? Well, yeah, but, I mean, it was kind of cool to hear it from, uh, you know, I didn't really expect Josh Bertrand to be watching Circuit Breaker. So it was kind of cool. Before I even interviewed him, he's like, he's like, dude, I got to say, I love you on Circuit Breaker. Oh, wow. man, is that the first wow. time? How many times has, have you been approached and said, hey, are you Kyle Wood from Circuit Breaker? Uh, Actually, <laughs> Havasu, there was like four or five times people recognized me solely from Circuit Breaker. Nice. Uh, one of the power pole service techs, Josh Bertrand, and then uh, three or four people from the audience. Wow. One guy even recognized me from that ad where I'm wearing the camo sweatshirt <laughs> in the magazine. <laughs> I would. Your, uh, your world domination has started. You've got Instagram now. This is going to be an incredible run. Uh, game changer, man. Uh, all right, that is that's phenomenal. I had no i i had i i had no idea that that many people would recognize you for. I didn't either. I'm like, man, I'll cover every Western event if it's going to be like that. I'll just single handedly, I'll go out there. I got it. Yeah i I imagine the i I imagine that you know you're probably going to be a pretty big deal you know throughout the uh, throughout the tour stops this year. Well, that could be. I think I think it, people aren't going to want Mark Rose's autograph. They're going to want Kyle Woods' autograph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They walk right past Mark Rose. Like, no, man. How how You're, is how how is your autograph on that? You know, on that subject. Can you can you write your name pretty well? Do you have a decent looking autograph? You know, I've never practiced it. Okay. Never in a million years did I ever think I'd be in that position, recognized by someone. <laughs> yeah, outside of. Um, you, you know, may, you may, you may want to practice it because I'll be honest. I've done it a few times because in Virginia with a Virginia Tech College fishing jersey, 
in a tournament there, people are uh, people, yeah. especially little kids, can get like excited about that sort of thing. Oh sure. Uh, and I, first of all, my signature is terrible. It's <laughs> super boring, and I'm really even worse at writing it on like actual objects. So if it becomes an if if it's something that happens again, you might want to you know put a little time in it to get good at it. Well, you know, maybe maybe I'll test it out. Um, I'll keep doing it while we're talking here. And see if see if I can get it dialed in. Okay, I can hear your pen. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, you hear that? Yeah. We're getting it going. Oh, nice. okay. It's not as bad as I thought. I might be pretty good at this. Okay, keeping on the Havasu subject, but moving over to college fishing, mm-hmm. uh, the Oregon State University team of Zach McDonald and Zach Martinez, the Zach Attack, if you will, uh, <laughs> caught twelve pounds nine ounces, a limited large mouth. And took first place in that particular event. They move. They've moved on to the Western Conference Championship. Uh, they've actually uh, won two tournaments, not in a row necessarily, but last year they also won a tournament on uh, on the Delta, I believe that that particular yep. duo did. And you know they're 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 pretty good. McDonald especially has he's got a lot of experience at this thing, and I think he's I think I think. You know, I'm I'm sure that we'll see him do well at a national championship at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, I, I guess that's you know kind of kind of all we need to take away from that particular event. Would you Would you say? I would agree. Yep. Okay, I like it. Moving on, uh, fantasy fishing is it's out. You know. Wednesday, you guys will listen to this on Thursday, but it's available. You can go in, you can log in, you can start picking your teams. The Toho values are up. It's still the same format as last year where you have $200. You have to sort of build your cap. And uh, this year, FLW let me be a pundit, which I'm going to say right out, it's probably a bad idea, and you guys should not (laughs) follow my advice. (laughs) Uh, But it's something I enjoy doing. Um, it is kind of fun. So, Kyle, I mean, there's uh, $5,000 on the line in each one of these events. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leagues are awesome. You can get in on those. So there's not, there's really no reason not to do this. And if you're a, uh, if you're a member, you get to see our pundit picks, which, you know, Kyle, Joe, and myself, and myself have all plugged in so that you can, uh, you can take a peek at those. And Kurt, Niedermeyer is also a pundit. However, uh, he's a little behind on getting his picks in just because he's down at Amistad getting ready to cover that tournament. So he should have picks up in eventually. Theory. Yeah. So we'll, we'll try to speed him along on that. But there will be there'll be four pundits. Yeah. Uh, but the, I guess the main the main thing to talk about here is not that – well, I'm excited for it and I liked the uh, – I liked it, but – I don't want to give away our pundit picks quite yet, but what right. I do want to hear is who were some of the guys that you really wanted to have on your team but ended up leaving off? Because for me, there's always one or two guys who I'm like, man, I like that price, but I just don't like it quite enough. Or, boy, I think this guy could do really well, but I'm not sure I want to bet on it. Uh, so who were who were one or two of those guys for you? You know, uh, I would say honestly probably the one guy that even before we talked to him earlier 
that I was kicking myself for not putting on my team was Scott Canterbury. All right. Well, was the you know, the kinda... one like as I plugged in my picks yesterday, I did not take Scott Canterbury, and I'm kind of upset about that. Well, Kyle, uh, I tell you what, I put I did pick Scott Canterbury, and I <laughs> yes, I'm feeling did. like a I'm feeling like a genius. <laughs> uh, I think for me, it was actually well, for me it was kind of twofold. I really wanted to own Wesley Strader. Because he's mm-hmm. super consistent, but he doesn't make a lot of top tens, and so I ended up not having him on there. I wanted to, but I just couldn't quite bring myself over the hump uh, to put Wesley on. And I also, I also really wanted, and this one, this might be coming out of left field. I don't know. We'll see. I'll be, I'll be interested to hear your reaction on this one. Okay. All right. I'm ready. I really wanted to put Keith Amerson on my team. Ooh. He had he had a real sneaky good year last year. He did. Uh and his two bombs were Sam Rayburn, which I'm not gonna say you can throw that out, but which I'm we're not going back there. You know, I'm willing to yep. I'm willing to ignore that. Or not entirely ignore that, but I'm willing to be okay with that. And Pickwick, which you wouldn't think he would bomb on. Because he's no, a Tennessee River guy. Yeah, and he's a ledge guy. The fact that he still managed, I think he finished like 50th or 54th in the standings. The fact that mm-hmm. he still managed to end up that high, you know, not on the Forest Wood Cup bubble, but, you know, within shouting distance of it, with a 139th place finish on Pickwick. That's pretty good. I'm really, I was really impressed by. He had a 19th yeah. place finish on Okeechobee. I think, uh, he was a guy who I wanted to have on, but I, I couldn't quite make the argument to put him on, but who I think I'll probably own a few more times throughout this season. Yeah, he's definitely a lot more versatile than I think uh, originally believed by a lot of people. But that's funny because I think I told I think I told Joe yesterday, he was talking about picking guys, and I said something about Keith Amerson. So funny we were on the same train of thought there. All right. Did you have anybody, you know, in your this is off the uh, this is off the wall here, but did you have anything anyone in your in the guys you picked who you particularly love, who you just feel really good about for the price and for the uh what you think they're going to do on this lake? Um, you know, probably let's see, I'm scrolling through the list here. I guess I know there you were was... telling me uh well maybe you weren't telling me. But I know you wrote really glowingly about uh Peter T. Oh yeah. Peter T would probably be my bang for your buck. Like I think he's way undervalued and I was super I pretty much based my salary cap around his price. So you basically you went out, you got Peter T and then yep. Went to see what else he could do. Yep, and I just started making it work. Cool. Because I think Peter T. Peter T. is really good at sight fishing. Uh, yeah. He throws that PD rig. He's only twenty two bucks, which is a great price. Very, very solid price. And I mean, the dude has more Florida experience than pretty much everyone in the field. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't do well in a lot of other tournaments. Um, I think in twenty. 
13, there was a Rayovac at Seminole. And he got a top 10 there. Uh, most all his top 10s are from Florida. Or half of them, I think, at least. Five out of his 10 top 10 finishes in FLW have come from Florida. And not just Okeechobee. It's kind of all over the place. So I'm into it. Or at least that region down there. Okay. I think I, I think that's actually a really good pick. And honestly, I... I might say I'm not going to say I made a made a mistake not having him on my roster, but I I would look hard at putting him on my roster if I was going for it, going through this a second time. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, I think the guy for me that I really really dug having on was Drew Benton. Ah uh, yes, <laughs> I think I mean Benton has basically he won a tournament. You know, a big chunk of it was because of sight fishing. He's from Florida. He's from that. He's not from Okeechobee, Florida. He's from more northern central Florida. Mm-hmm. I think he's a oh man. I think he's a really strong pick. Um, I agree with you. And I, I kind of on that note, like you didn't have Drew Benton. I did In not. Fact, I don't even. You know, Joe didn't have Drew Benton. We had a lot of disagreement Which? among the among ourselves. The pundits really we failed to. Failed to come to a consensus on a lot of this. Yeah, if you uh, so if you haven't played fantasy fishing, when you look at our rosters, you can see our, our uh, not our rosters, but what the pundits picked. You can see um, overlap, and a lot. I feel like a lot of times, especially last year, um, with our pundits, we'd probably have four, maybe five guys out of the ten guys on our team that were the same. You know, so you could come to a conclusion pretty quick, like, oh, okay, well, I might want to have you know, this guy and this guy on my team because everyone picked him. This time, I think, Jody, you and I have one guy that's the same. Um, Sure. What what I'm looking at here is I'm looking at in the fantasy trends section, which uh-huh. is a members-only portion of the fantasy fishing website. I think really it's really helpful for seeing what other people are thinking, what other guys, what people think are a good value, and also – you know, you can and you can choose to avoid them or go in that direction. So between between the pundits, the only guys we doubled up on and we didn't triple up on anybody are Andy Morgan, Jason Johnson, Van Soles, Mark Daniels Jr., and Zach Burge. And to me, that's that's just kind of astonishing. It really is. Like I said, that's that's a pretty rare feat for there to be that much diversity among the pundits. Why? Why do you think that is? Is it, do you think it's just because we haven't been to Toho at all recently, or do you think it's because? Uh, do you think it's because, you know, we just are divergent thinkers? Well, I, I think some of it is. It, it seems like you know every one of us kind of takes a different route on how we're going to pick a team, and you know what we think the pattern might be, or or you know, the strengths of the guys that we prefer to have on our team. But I think a lot of it does boil down to the fact that we haven't really been to Toho before. So it's kind of open to interpretation for us in terms of what we want to see from an angler and what we think, you know, will be the deal. Um, You know, is experience going to play through? Like, do you have a bunch of Florida guys on your team who have probably been to Toho more than anyone else? Or do you just pick the good sticks? Um that's what I think is kind of cool about this. I think by the time we hit Chickamauga, we'll see some overlaps and picks. 
But Look, if we go to Chickamauga and I don't know how at Chickamauga anybody is not going to own Andy Morgan and Michael Neal and Wesley Strader. Like, I think everybody is going to find a way to put all three of those guys in their team. Yep. And I, I mean, I think it's you've almost have to. So uh, Chickamauga might be the extreme. Toho might also be the extreme in the other direction. Uh, but it's still cool. It is. as long as I've been doing this for the past couple of years, you know, most all of our punnet picks have been about the same. And this is one of the first tournaments where there's been that much diversity. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for one of the pundits to really shine. Yeah, and for the rest of them to get made fun of. <laughs> awesome. Okay, continuing on with our uh, with our news portion here. FLW uh, recently uh, we signed up uh, three sponsors. One of them is brand new, Lear Truck Caps. Um, yeah. Do you have one of those, Kyle? Because I know you have a truck cap. Uh, yes, but it's not a Lear. Well, if I was going to buy one, it would totally be a Lear. My dad has a cool one on his truck, and I kind of wish – mine was already on my truck when I bought it, so I didn't really have a choice. Okay, phenomenal. Uh, Bridgeford Foods also back. They sponsor uh, Uribe, uh, Luke Clausen, Randy Blackett, and uh, FLW again. Um, yep, yep. And Plano and Fraybill are both back on, and this upcoming uh, – Rayovac on Lake Amistad is presented by Fraybill. So there you have it. Um, also of note, and this is, I think, one of the cool things about just the tour and about the anglers on it. Uh, last year, Rich Dalby, uh, who I finally got, I had met him before in passing, but I actually got to sit down and talk with him some at the Rayovac on Okeechobee. Uh, Rich Dalby started Hooked on Helping, where they, they basically they're running a food drive at each FLW oh, yeah. tour event, um, and Red Gold Tomatoes, uh, who they're Todd Hollowell's sponsor or primary sponsor anyhow. They've announced that they're going to be donating a thousand pounds of tomato products throughout the FLW tour season. Uh, last year, their food drives collected uh, a little over a thousand pounds total. And this was, you know, just starting. So they're, they were almost certainly going to up that number this year anyhow. Now mm-hmm. they're almost certainly going to double that number. And I, th- I think that is so cool that these guys, oh, yeah. uh, that Dalby has taken the initiative to start this, uh, that Hollowell is going to help serve as a spokesperson for this, that he was able to get his sponsors involved with this. I think, I, I think it's really just a, it says a lot about the quality of angler we have fishing the tour. Oh, absolutely. And these, you know, coming down to the, the expos, coming to one of these events, they're always a fun thing to go to. It's always, there's a, there's a fair amount to do. You get to see a great weigh-in. Uh, and I would urge you, if you're going to come out to an FLW tour event, uh, be cognizant that the Hooked on Helping food drives are going on and bring something that you can donate because it's uh, it's for a good cause. It always benefits whatever the local whatever the local food bank is. It's not... You know, you're dropping something off that's going to stay in town. It's not, yep. you're going to help people who, you know, you may or may not see, uh, you know, every day around you. So I think that's a pretty good deal. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. So, Kyle, we're going to talk later on with Jesse, who Intelligence has uh, has put him now next to a pool 
<laughs> yeah. I pretty yeah. I'm pretty upset about. But what we uh what we're gonna talk about now, I guess, is our Rayovac on Amistad rumble picks. Because we need to make these you and I are both going into this with I imagine, you know, kind of not too much information. I mean we have uh we obviously we have a good idea of we have a somewhat of an idea of how the lake's gonna fish. We know yep. who some studs are, but we don't really have a you know great lineup of these are these are the guys who are fishing well down there this is how practice has gone that sort of thing which you know i had at okeechobee well actually i don't think i did have that at okeechobee we made those picks far in advance but which you almost certainly had at least a little bit um at the uh rayovac on havasu yep yep yeah i literally the only thing i know about this rayovac really is we got the field list this morning and I looked through it, and that was it. <laughs> so, that's, so that's shooting in the dark. What I did. Yeah. Uh, I've got. You had the first pick last time. I've got the first pick this time. Yep. Uh, well, either way, this is you know whoever wins this particular rayback, we're going to be breaking a tie, which uh, is kind of cool. And I think with my first pick, I'm going to take Jeff Crete. Um, Ooh, squirrel. Yeah. Have you tried those squirrel tail worms, by the way? I have. Do you like them? I do. Okay. Um, I do too. Yeah. I I've throw them a lot on, uh, you know, on weed lines, like shaky head up here on a weed line. And you mean, I think they're pretty solid. Shaky head? Do you mean jig worm? Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, in, in northern term, <laughs> a jig worm. Yeah. Throw it on a jig worm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I actually like them too. I don't have any currently, but I've caught fish on them in the past. I, I probably should get some, but uh, anyhow, I'm going to take Jeff Crete. He, I think he's a pretty good clear water angler, pretty good finesse angler. I think he's got a real high floor for this event. Oh, yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, potential to do well. Kyle, oh, number two. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to go with... Ugh, this is tough. You know, I'm going to do this only because I feel like when there's a tournament in Texas... And you don't talk about this guy, you're an idiot. So I'm going to pick Todd Castledine. Oh man, that's a solid pick. In that it's Todd Castledine. Yes. The guy kind of knows how to catch fish. Yes, he does, especially in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Although he does pretty good showing. Uh, he had a real good showing at the All American. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, I forget what lake. Wilson. Yes. On Last Wilson. year's. Yes. Yes. He did pretty well there. He's definitely a very adept angler when it comes to fishing offshore. So I think that's a real solid pick. I, I dig it. Uh, my next pick, I'm going to go, gosh, oh, man. I, I, I'm not, I don't love my options here because I kind of, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pick Byron Velvick. He fishes, he Ooh. basically lives down there. Uh, fishes there a lot. I think, you know, if we have that pre-spawn bite, it's apparently, you know, nice and warm down there where Jesse's sitting by the pool. Yep. So I think if there's some fish moving in, maybe he catches a few on a swim bait. Uh, so we'll take him, recognizing that it's probably going to be one or two guys who I want to have on my team as well. <laughs> well, here's the thing with Texas. I feel like every, pretty much every major Texas stud is in this field. Yep. That I'm aware of. So as I'm looking at my list here, I have 
there's like 12 names of guys I wanted to pick. And now that you've gone two complete routes, I didn't even really register. It's tough. That's the same. So that's the same situation I think I'll be in for my third pick because I have, well, I guess Castledine I can cross off, but I've got one, two, three, four. I've got five other guys who I'd be, you know, honestly, six or seven if I wanted to expand it a little bit. Other guys who I'd be real happy owning in this spot. And it's a tough one to, it's tough to narrow that out. Usually you sort of rely on the other person to take some of the perceived studs, but yeah. that's not really the case here because we don't go to, you know, we don't go to Amistad every year like we do uh, Toledo Bend or Sam Rayburn. You know, they're like Sam Rayburn, it's a no brainer to take Todd Castledine first pick. That's yes. not necessarily the case here. No, it isn't. So, with that being said, I guess I'm up next, right? Yes, sir. I'm going with my boy, Austin Terry. Daggum. Yeah. I, I wanted to pick Austin Terry. <laughs> that was, well, that was I, who I was going to pick. That was. Gonna I didn't be know if guy. I was going to do it first or last, and I figured I might as well jump on it while I had the opportunity. Okay. Well, I think that's a real good pick. I mean, Austin Terry, phenomenal with a crankbait. He loves throwing a crankbait. So I think uh, pre-spawn fish on some of those points and stuff down there, I think he'd be able to get on a strong bite. He also, uh, he's pretty versatile since he started fishing the tour. He uh, he's kind of expanded, so I feel like he's a lot more well-rounded too um, than he has been. I should say. Yes, I I definitely agree with you. I think I think Terry. I mean, he made the Forestwood Cup last year. I think he's a real good bet to make it again this year. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy, you know, who maybe not for Toho necessarily, but who's going to show up on a lot of fantasy rosters throughout the season. Oh and yeah, I think he's I think he's a good pick here. I. I'm kind of hemming and hawing about this one. I'm going to take Steven Johnston. He's got a Ooh. decent history on uh, on Amistad. The man catches him everywhere we go. He's he a does. big game, big time angler in Texas, out of Texas. I think he's a decent pick. I think that is a phenomenal pick. And now that leaves me with a tough one. Oh. Jeez. Um, you got but what, 12 guys or so that you need to yeah, narrow through here? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, all right. I'm going to do the other half. So I picked Todd Castledine earlier. The other half to that Texas domination equation is Russell Cecil. So I'm taking Cecil. All righty. I, uh, I love it. I think, I think if there was one guy who I would have liked to have tried to own in here, and I don't, it would have been going a little bit on a limb, but maybe not too much on a limb. It would have been Jeff Sprague. Ah, uh, yeah. He had a really good finish there last time. Uh, one pretty mediocre finish there, but he's kind of an up and comer. And I think he could be a decent pick in this event, but obviously neither of us own him. Right. Okay. We've, uh, we finished our Rayback Rumble picks. I think uh, we'll see how they shake out. We've obviously got a, Amistad Rayback preview coming up for you. It's time to preview, or at least talk about a little bit, the FLW College Fishing Southeastern Conference event set for this Saturday, Valentine's Day. Hey, look at that. Hey, all right. Uh, on Lake Seminole. Um, this one, 
I'll, I'll be interested to see how this shakes out just because you know you're going to be getting some national championship contender teams out of the Southeastern Conference. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's almost certainly going to be a big tournament. I think it'll probably break the record that the Texas tournament um, uh, first broke as far as field size goes. And I, I think it'll be I think it'll be a fun one to watch, or well, not to watch necessarily because it's not on FLW Live, but it'll be a fun one, right? To follow uh, up on, to follow up on for yep. sure, because we're going to mm-hmm. see, we're probably going to see some really good fishing, I think, especially if the weather's decent, because uh, Seminole has some huge bass in it. Oh, it does. It sounds like they should be, uh, um, you know, setting up to be caught a lot of ways. Um, that a majority of these schools down there, a lot of those bigger schools, um, are pretty good at. Yeah, I think if this is like a pre-spawn, a jig, uh, swim jig, rattle trap type yeah. type bite, almost all these schools have some fishermen who are really good at doing that. Whether mm-hmm. it's they learned it on Gunnersville, whether they learned it somewhere in the Carolinas, I think these guys, you know, they've got a good shot at making some making some waves. And I mean. I know usually college fishing, you can kind of adjust the bags down for what to expect. But so far this year, that hasn't really been the case. I mean, we saw a 12-pound bag at Havasu, which is real solid. We saw a 26-pound bag, I think, at uh, in Texas. Yep. I think we could see another. I think we're going to see a bag in the 20s to win this, It would be my guess. Oh, I, I think for sure. Uh, so that'll, that, that in itself will be pretty, will be pretty fun to watch. And uh, with that, I think I think we're ready to sort of dig into the BFL Weekly Update. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, first up, uh, Savannah River Division on Lake Kiwi. Jamie Rampey caught 17 pounds even, picked up the win. We're going to let him talk about that right now. Well, I stayed, uh, I pretty much stayed around the boat ramp down there. Most of the time I've been deep on Kiwi, you know, out there in the 50, 60-foot range, but... With all the pressure that's out there now, you know, it can't can't hardly get on anywhere. So I decided to go shallow and uh, stay doing that all day. I called, uh, I think I called two on a hay rig with uh, eight ounce Buckeye J wheel head. And uh, uh, I called a couple on a uh, Buckeye spot remover with a boom trick worm. I might have called three on a hay rig. Either I called three on a hay rig or three on a check-in. Either way, I only caught five all day, but they were just the right one. I fished uh, for 20 foot, from 8 to 20 foot. I caught my first one about probably 9 o'clock, and I caught my last one about 1.30. You know, one here, one there. Oh, it was good. You know, we, we had uh, bluebird skies and some wind. Uh, you know, they were biting pretty good. You know, I mean, you can go out deep and catch, you know, 8 to 12 pounds pretty easy, but you can't, you know, you can't catch those Kyle, did anything stick out about uh, Jamie Rampey's win to you? Uh, not really. I mean, Jamie Rampey, it doesn't really surprise me that he won um, because, A, he's a pretty good stick, and, B, he won the last event of that division last year. So the guy's kind of pretty dialed in on catching fish. And it seemed like a pretty straightforward deal, to me at least. It really did. It seemed like, you know, he was just kind of went out and went fishing. 
Yeah. He didn't. He didn't really do anything super special. He uh, didn't have any, you know, top secret techniques. He was just kind of going out fishing good stuff, uh, and he was doing a good job of fishing it. So that's kind of, you know, a lot. Of, a lot of times BFLs they can get one with a real specific lake specific pattern. Yep. Uh, or somebody who's really been dialed in for a while. That wasn't really the case with this one. He just kind of went out there and got it done. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of fun to, fun to see. Oh, yeah. A lot of respect for that. Just going fishing. Next, the Choo Choo Division event on Gunnersville. Chris Webb uh, smashed him. Well, kind of smashed him. He caught 28 pounds, 8 ounces. And I'm going to let him tell you about that right now. Oh, it's pretty good to beat that level of competition. I mean, Gunnersville's a tough lake. You can look through the guys that fished it and, you know, make a pretty good assumption on the quality and who you had to beat to win. I just feel very fortunate to be able to do so. I fished mid-lake, three baits, a trap, a swim bait, and a jig. Water at... Water was from the shallowest I was all day was uh, probably three foot. But the deepest that I caught a fish was probably 12 foot. I caught seven fish all day. Uh, I had, uh, I called one time. I caught one short. It was 14 and three quarters. And uh, believe it or not, I weighed in a two pound spot. First fish was probably at 8. Next fish was about 9.30. And then I had a flurry between 1 and 3, about 3.15. Uh, we, had, uh, we had high bluebird skies, post-frontal. Uh, the temp was 20. I'd have to look again, but it was in the 20s in the morning, maybe 20s. I don't remember exactly. I think it was 27 or so that morning. It warmed up in the 60s, I think, midday. But we had uh, we had a west southwest wind that came up probably around nine, and it was blowing. I would, without looking back through the through the uh, you know the National Weather Service, it was blowing 10 to 15, gusting over 20. It, the, the lake got rough, real rough. Kyle, did anything about this particular event? stick out to you uh well hey i i thought it was kind of cool a lot of big names um you know showing up in the top spots casey martin was catching fish didn't he have like 27 pounds something like that he definitely finished he finished in second place alex davis also caught a whole bunch of fish i think he caught the tournament big bass i'm not i think he did i thought it was like an eight something yeah i saw that uh, on facebook and he made the top 10 so I think I, I think that's kind of cool to see those guys, uh, you know, bringing the big sticks out. Which yeah. Usually, usually you get that, you know, in a uh, in a BFL level event on to, on uh, on Gunnersville. That'll happen. Yeah, especially when it's this time of year, and you know, it's not, you know, they're not tour events going on or anything like that. You know, a lot of those guys are home still. Yeah. I I will say one thing. You know, Chris he had a pretty. Maybe he had an exceptional lineup of baits that he threw, but it didn't really sound super exceptional. But he did not want anybody to know about him. He was, he was uh, pretty standing pretty pat with, uh, <laughs> as far as telling us what he threw. 
yeah, in hopes he, of competing in future tournaments. And while I don't necessarily begrudge him, you know, the hope to do well in the future, at the same time, I mean, people do want to know what you caught your fish on, and a swim bait and a lipless crankbait and a jig, unless you're throwing like a super special swim bait, lipless crankbait, or jig, I mean, how <laughs> special can they be, right? I, that's what I'm saying. But I don't know. This guy, he's probably. He fishes a lot of tournaments on Connersville, probably one every weekend from now until December. So I don't know if it's going to give him the confidence by not disclosing that. More power to him. But pretty standard Gunnersville tackle, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I would say so. That said, uh, he caught 28 pounds uh, and 8 ounces, and that's you know that's an above standard Gunnersville weight. So, you know, he's uh, he certainly earned his win. So congratulations to all our BFL winners this week, and we'll be back in a moment with an Amistad update from Jesse Schultz. And now we're joined, well, not live, but semi-live, on location, that's the word we're looking for, or words, (laughs) rather, from Lake Amistad, we're joined by Jesse Schultz. Uh, Jesse, you spent the day in the boat, or part of the day in the boat with Todd Castledine. You've been hanging out with some luminaries of Texas fishing this afternoon. How's it going? It is going great, guys. I'm happy to be here with you all. It is warm in Texas. Uh, I hate to say that because I know where you guys are sitting, but <laughs> 80 degrees, I'm hanging out by the pool. Life is great. Jesse, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm wearing shorts. Uh, it's about 75 here in uh, Benton. You win. I'm fixing to <laughs> go win. catch a few uh, few off beds in a you know an hour or so. Yeah, I got a short sleeve shirt understand. on. <laughs> I completely understand why guys moved down here. And uh, we got to hang out with Denny Brower today and kind of get his thoughts on his move down here. But, you know, first this morning, I went out in the boat with Todd Castledine. If you guys don't know him, he is a dick in Texas. And that guy fishes nonstop. I mean, that's all he does is fish tournaments for a living. And that's not just saying that he only fishes, you know, FLW Ravex for a living. He just fishes anything and everything, and I think that's cool. It's a really cool aspect. I got to kind of hear his story this morning, and, I mean, that guy lives and breathes fishing in Texas, and that's how he makes his money. So if anybody ever gets a chance to kind of sit down with him, you know, ask him about his tournament schedule because he has a tournament somewhere in Texas every weekend. Which is unbelievable to think about that. Like, the guy makes so much money in Texas alone, and he catches them all over Texas. There's not too many guys that can yeah. do that all over one state right? consistently, too. And, yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. And to see him, you know, visit Amistad, which is, I would say, not, you know, his go-to Texas lake. Um, but he approached it a little bit differently than I guess I expected the guys to approach the lake right now. I mean, it is definitely pre-spawn from what I've seen. Um, these guys might catch him up shallow but they're probably not going to be betting you might find some cruisers that are just moving up with the warm weather that we had today however tomorrow i think we are going to get a cold front with possibly some rain so we could shut some of that stuff down um but todd had an interesting approach you know i can't give any of this stuff away but you know just from what i saw this morning it's going to be tough but there's always that opportunity of catching a really big bag out here i mean the rumors are, you know, that Amistad has had some issues, which it has, but they're still big fish. I mean, Denny Brower caught a 12-pounder a couple of weeks ago. Like, they're in here, but there's just 
not as many of them right now, or not as many of them being caught anyways. And so Todd's approach was pretty much find, you know, a smaller portion of the lake that has a better quality fish and kind of pick it apart. And so he's only going to be fishing for, you know, six or seven bites a day, but I think those bites are going to be the right ones. You should be nervous, Jody. That means I'm totally winning this Rayovac Rumble. Well, I mean, you might, but it does take more than one angler uh, to make that happen. That's true. Uh, but he's going to carry have, me. You need and to I have a complete performance. I don't know your old picks, but if you pick D, uh, Denny Prower, uh, it's probably a pretty good pick. I mean, the guy's uh, lived here for, I guess, going on three years now. He said it's his permanent home and. Uh, Kurt Niedemeyer and I got to go over to his house this afternoon and check it out, which the place is amazing. And he's got more deer on his wall than he does fishing trophies. It's amazing. <laughs> I know Kyle, you would be in. Be in oh, yeah. We got, yeah, we got to talk to Denny a little bit. And, you know, he mentioned kind of the same things about the water being down and, and the fish not fishing not being quite as good. But, again, and this is a really good point that he made is, like, you know, he moved down here because he was tired, I think, of fishing the Ozark Lakes and, you know, catching a five- or six-pounder being a good fish, whereas down here, any opportunity, any day, you might catch, you know, a fish over 10 pounds, which is a trophy fish for anybody. Sure. So he's excited. He's he's very optimistic about the tournament. He thinks things are kind of turning around and it could take 60 pounds to win. Uh, we wow. talked to Stephen Johnston as well, and he was – whether he's catching them or not, I'm not sure, but he was very bubbly and optimistic as well. So I know these guys are just happy to be in the warm weather down here with opportunities to catch, to catch big bass. Well, I like the uh, I like the prognosis from Stephen Johnston. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's a real key key uh, key guy we're looking for. We want him yeah, to do well yeah, this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so Jesse. I, you know, you've obviously you've talked with these guys. You've been on the water some. Do you think twenty pounds is reasonable? Do you uh, do you have any any line? You know, I, I know you think it's going to be one pre-spawn, but do you have any particular techniques that you think are going to play in this event? I think two things are going to take an effect. Is one is tomorrow there is supposed to be a cold front and it's and it's going to the wind's going to blow pretty hard. Uh, I think there's going to be some guys that catch them shallow tomorrow. Um, when the sun's out and it, and it heats up and there's no wind, that deep bite becomes pretty good. But with the weather that we're going to have tomorrow, I think guys are going to kind of be able to junk fish a little bit and just kind of run the banks. Or there's still enough grass in this lake that guys are going to catch them out of there. It's not matted up like it used to be and guys like used to punch and stuff. It's not really like that. But, you know, just kind of spreading out and junk fishing around some of that grass, I think might work pretty well tomorrow. In terms of weight, you know, it's really tough to say. I'm really hoping it's going to be around 50-plus pounds to win. But from everybody you talk to, it's like one day you go out and catch 20 pounds, and the next day you go out and get two bites. So the guy who can catch 15 pounds a day is going to have a good chance to win this tournament. But you're going to have, you know, somebody probably on the first or second day catch 20-plus pounds and is going to lead it, but it's just a matter of being able to hang on to that lead at the end of the day or at the end of the week, per se. Interesting. Very interesting. I'd be, I, me, personally, like, how crazy would it be 
for a Havasu total winning weight to dwarf Amistad. Doesn't that seem wrong? Yeah, but I think you can look at it a couple different ways. I mean, you you have one lake that is uh, like Havasu that is on that is like prime, you know, that is the best it, it may ever get. And then you've got Amistad that's got the potential to be much better than Havasu, but it's on its way back up. So I think around the country we, we see lakes like Kentucky Lake and uh, other lakes that have like going ways, you know. Sometimes they produce big weights. Other times they just produce a lot of fish. And um, I think in the future you're going to see this lake bounce back in a big way. Cool. Well, Jesse, uh, I'm glad we could get the uh, on-the-spot information. Um, I, I think the predictions and as far as giving people a feel for what to expect down there are going to be really key. Of course, you know, you mentioned we've got a couple pre-tournament videos that are going to be up. You're going to want to check them out at flwoutdoors.com. Uh, of course, FLW Live for all these weigh-ins. And uh, I would say, you know, the rest of flwoutdoors.com for Jesse, I assume some phenomenal on-the-water photos from uh, from you and Kurt. Yeah, we're going to do the best we can. Definitely uh, follow us along all week, starting off tomorrow and ending on Saturday. We look forward to a great event. Guys, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, best of luck down there. Uh, Have stay fun. Stay safe. Uh, don't, you know, if you cross the border, do so legally, please. And uh, beyond <laughs> that, you know. Uh, have fun, eat some tacos or some phenomenal food down there for me, or maybe bring some back. Um, and I hope you see a lot of fish get caught. Looking forward to it. Talk to you later, guys. So, guys, that's been the FLW podcast for this week. As far as following along down on Amistad, I was wrong in the in the interview with Jesse. It's actually 3.30 p.m. Central Time is where you're going to want to tune in to flwlive.com to watch all the weigh-ins, 4 p.m. Central Time on Saturday. Uh, should be a really good time. We're going to blow out the coverage again like we've done for you know these prior Rayovacs. Uh, other than that, man, that's it. You know, FLW that's fishing on, yeah, FLW fishing on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, Kyle is on Instagram at Kyle Lumber. I'm on Instagram at Jody Blanco. Uh, you can email the podcast like Brandon did, maybe to request a guest. Yeah, podcast at flwfishing.com. I think that's about it. We've got a uh, got a great episode for you here. Got a fun week ahead on Amistad. Anything else, Kyle? That's it, man. I'm ready to roll. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. When Kyle posts his first Instagram picture, what he chooses is going to be a really important thing. <laughs> Too gonna, much pressure, man. We're going to absolutely overanalyze it. <laughs> uh, we're looking forward to this. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great week. See you. See you.